0: Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Today I'm delighted to welcome Sarah and Catalin. Please, could I ask you to introduce yourselves, tell us what you do at Software, and also an interesting fact about yourselves?
1: Okay. Hello, my name is Sarah Binney. I'm a technical lead at Softwire. I tech lead our LAX team, which is a team dedicated to combining design and development work to a really high standard. We do a lot of work with the government and various projects that need lots of heavy design components in their ongoing development. An interesting fact about me is that I ate pumpkin for four days in a row now. I think I'm about to run out, I'm afraid, so I'm not going to make it to a week, but it tells you what time of year it was when we were recording the podcast, I guess. Do you like pumpkin? I do. Well, I'm beginning to get a bit sick of it, but um, they are, they're just great. Well the, well, the first the first day we had it, we just got a whole pumpkin, I hollowed it out and made soup and then poured the soup in the pumpkin and had the soup out of the pumpkin. It was great. Anyway, uh, no, enough about pumpkins.
2: And I'm Katalin. I am also a technical lead at the Software. I work on the Channel 5 team, whose uh, responsibility is to bring uh, great uh, on-demand content to viewers up and down the country. The interesting fact I could think of earlier was that I once uh, fed Palenta to a university vice chancellor. (laughs) With their consent? (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) I believe so. Was it new for them, polenta, then? I I, I don't actually know. I, I wouldn't expect so. I assume it wasn't quite a, a stable dish either.
0: Good. Well, we've got our P words sorted for today. Polenta and pumpkin. <laughs> Sounds amazing. In today's episode, we are going to talk about some incredible work that we did in the space of online medicine for an organisation called Curo. More and more medical services can now be delivered online or in a tech-enabled way. And this increases the potential access to medicine for all kinds of people all around the world. So at Software, we work on, as you'll know, if you listen to the podcast, we work on a large number and a large range of different projects. So I want to start by asking the tech leads from Software that we have with us today, what kind of projects most excite you as developers? What things do you most enjoy lending your skills to?
2: So I think for for my part, what really matters is if there's a project where we can uh, we can add a lot of value and make a lot of impact because we've obviously got a, a range of uh, skills within the company, but we're really good at some uh, some specific things, such as taking some client requirements and like figuring out how to how to build a piece of software in in a way that works best for them. And I think it's that sort of project where you can really figure out what to what to do and how to build it and then build it. Faster, where our impact can be greatest, and I guess it's it's all the better if that impact also makes a lot of difference for. Well, I guess making the world well the better place if it uh, makes uh, people uh, healthier or happier or anything along those lines, then that's ideal.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with everything Kat just said. I think yeah, connected to the the bits that we're good at is actually that we enjoy what we're good at, particularly. So, for example, what like one of the things I as an ex-developer, really enjoys building stuff from the ground up, so bespoke systems, just because it's really fun to be building a greenfield project that's never been done before. We can use a really up-to-date stack. We can choose what we are using. We can use the right tools for the job. We're not constrained by the age of the system or previous decisions someone else has made. And I also agree that I think it makes quite a difference what the sector is that the, the application is actually going to be used for because... I really get a lot out of projects which have a real human impact. And I have worked on a few where it it was a bit of back-end system that's only going to be used by a few people. And that is fine, but I get a lot more out of the ones where it's going to be used by lots and lots of people and it's going to make a real difference to their lives. And so with that
0: lead-in, who are Curo? (laughs) And if we roll back to maybe the start of 2020,
1: what were their tech plans? What were they looking to do? So Curium Medical are a South Africa based startup. They work in medicine and their main goal is to provide a service which will allow doctors to monitor patients remotely. So what they had at the start of 2020 was the hardware that they needed to support their service. So it's basically a patch. You wear it on your chest and it Bluetooths your vital readings to a nearby device, namely your phone. So for example, your temperature, your heartbeat, your ECG, various other things that a doctor might be interested in. But it's completely lightweight, it's rechargeable, and you can go anywhere with it and it connects to your phone. So this is what they had at the start of 2020. And their business plan was, as of January, to build that out into a software-based solution as well. So, what they didn't have was the interface for the doctors to see those readings, to service those readings. They had a piece of firmware that you can run on the phone, which will upload the patient's vital statistics to the cloud, but they then didn't have any way of getting it back out of the cloud in a useful format. So, that's where they were in January. A few things have happened since then.
2: Yes, COVID, (laughs) which I'm sure our listeners are very well aware of, unless they've been living under a very, like, Happy rock uh, <laughs> to, to be under, or like I guess in in New Zealand or one of those uh, fortunate places. Uh, but but yeah, there's this thing called COVID that uh, that struck a lot of the world in early 2020, and uh, that meant that this uh, startup that was like on a on a slow burner and was being slowly. Slowly developed, became into something that could uh, really make uh, a huge difference in the short term in helping uh, South Africa's uh, response to the to the pandemic and their ability to to cope with this. The dual goals being, uh, of course, so hospital capacity was very strained everywhere, both in terms of a lot of patients coming into hospital with COVID and uh, other patients ideally being kept out of hospital so they don't. Catch COVID while getting uh, treated for other conditions. So this sort of system of uh, monitoring patients at uh, at home remotely and only only bringing them into hospital if their condition deteriorated and if they needed urgent or more intensive care could really come into its own as a, as a way to, to help hospitals address the the COVID crisis. So that's why Curo tried to kick it all upper gear, and you did out there as uh, quickly as uh, possible.
0: Yeah, so there was suddenly like a huge demand and a really clear need for what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And so how did Software get involved?
1: This is a great story, very serendipitous. It was actually through one of our colleagues, Ying, whose partner is doing a PhD at Oxford in machine learning. And through the Oxford machine learning grapevine, which is apparently a very strong and flourishing grapevine, they came to hear about this opportunity that Kiro were looking for. And the the original uh, description, I think, was literally, does anyone know React, which is this front-end JavaScript framework? So it was just looking for a student, for example, maybe someone in the university who would have a bit of spare time to help do the web interface for this app. And this was actually through their CTO, Rob, who's really great. Um, He had, I think, just finished also a degree in machine learning at Oxford before we get back to South Africa. So through this opportunity, we heard from Ed, Ying's partner. We originally just got got in touch with Rob saying, oh, well, we might have a little bit of time free ad hoc uh, over the weekend sort of thing. What would you need? Because obviously, you know, software is more than just one student. We're a whole company worth of people who are very good at writing React. And then in conversation with Rob, it became clear that actually what they could use and I think hadn't necessarily expected to get, but what they really needed was quite a bit more than just one person. It was a whole team worth of developers, not just for the React front end, but also actually for the back end as well and some of the other integration points so that's how we got involved rob actually like i said he's super great he actually had a lot of it scoped out already he knew what they needed to build it's just that their team wasn't going to be big enough to do it at the speed that they needed to do it mm-hmm. so some of the groundwork had been put in place for example like i said the this data was already being stored in the cloud so it was there was a few ideas he'd had about how to pull it down out of the cloud but nothing else existed it was a complete blank slate from our perspective
0: Sounds like maybe this isn't the typical way that we go about finding projects, right? Um, And I can see that obviously, we've talked like a little bit about the upside and like how great it is to work on something that's really going to have an impact. But also, I think it can be talking from my experience when I was a developer to do things in a rush at the last minute can sometimes not be so enjoyable. So how was it kind of received by people at Software?
2: Well, so I think if there's one thing we, we learned in this project is that the more cooks you have, then the the better the resulting broth. <laughs> it, it... That old saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the the situation we found ourselves in was uh, obviously the, the lockdown was starting in the UK. As it happens, the COVID crisis in, in South Africa was delayed by, by a few months compared to Western Europe, which meant they had more time to... To get systems in place, but yeah, we were in uh, in lockdown over in London, and uh, yeah, there were a lot of people with uh, with time on their hands and with a strong urge to like do whatever bit they could to like help out with this horror that was uh, unfolding. So yeah, we had a lot of people uh, stepping forward and offering to to jump in and uh, and help out with this, and uh, that was quite convenient because obviously the time scales were quite tight. We had to like set up. A lot of different uh, bits of tech and architecture and code in quite a short timescale, and yeah, I think it was uh, quite an unusual exercise in how we divided that up between the different members of the team, and had regular catch-ups or like spent uh, spent a lot of time together working parallel, keeping track with how it was all going. But yeah, it was less of the usual take a long amount of time first to like create all the Jira tickets, have everything precisely in place, and then. And they like that, it was a lot more like hitting the ground running and seeing what we could put together swiftly.
0: And what was our kind of strategy then? Was it a question of like, here's a date? We need as much functionality as we can get by that date, or was it more a here's a week, let's do what we can and release it and then we'll do another week? How did it kind of unfold?
1: It was originally supposed to be the former. It was originally supposed to be there was a hospital in Johannesburg that had asked for essentially to to trial it because they they knew that they were going to be put under intense stress by the pandemic, so they had a date that was at, when we when we spoke to Robert it was four weeks away. There's a book by Robert Harris where the main character has to write a book in four weeks. And he's he's told this by his editor, and it's just like, he, the editor's punched him in the face. He's like, four weeks? I have to write a book in four weeks? And he, and he does, and th- that's really what this felt like, is this, <laughs> I, I want to say madcap, but it was actually, it wasn't as chaotic as that sounds. It was more like, we just absolutely had our work cut out for us. Eventually, we didn't have something that we wanted to launch by the time those four weeks were up, because by the time four weeks had elapsed, it became clear that there was a bunch of stuff that wasn't going to be ready that actually we were going to need. It was seen as sort of not something we needed for an MVP, but actually I think the right decision was made to say, actually, we, we're going to hold off a bit longer. So for example, one of the things we did quite a long time after the original build was to really spice up the how the front end looked, which wasn't something we were prioritizing early on. It was just like, oh, well, as long as the data's in a graph, it doesn't matter if the graph looks very nice. Actually, it turns out that it does matter quite a lot that the graphs look at least C enough to 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 look professional because when it comes to medical data there's quite a high you know trust value in that and I think if you have something that just looks like it's been rustled together with bootstrap and by an amateur then you don't trust it and actually that that matters a lot not just for the sort of why am I seeing this data I don't really believe it but also just just for the security you know you, you wouldn't sign up to put your data in such a system
0: Yeah, that's super, super. I mean, I feel like we could have a whole podcast about (laughs) implications of design. But even like thinking about reading graphs, right? You need a graph where when human beings read it, they go away with the right information, right? It's the whole... A graph is not just a graph,
2: and it's right or not right. It's about the interaction with with the human. So yeah, a lot of it was taking the data and displaying it in a way that would that would feel familiar to the to the medical professionals, because this is ultimately meant to be one tool of many. So it's important that we didn't reinvent the wheel, but gave it a similar look and feel to to other medical technologies, so that they they all fit together in terms of how doctors like process these uh, these images. Super.
0: And so what was the
2: outcome? Like, how
0: did you then go on to release it? And what kind of impact did that have?
2: So I think we had an MVP in place about uh, four weeks after we started the development. Of course, that then uh, went through several stages of uh, user acceptance testing, uh, showing it to, to medical professionals, then uh, testing it with fake data, well, real data, but not from actual patients, but from from the Curo staff uh, themselves who are using themselves as guinea pigs for... a uh, right. handy source of guinea pigs. Indeed. It's got
1: some mad science sound to it, doesn't it? That
2: <laughs> So yeah, we're very, very aware of, uh, of Rob's uh, heart rate and uh, <laughs> oxygen saturation levels. And then they, uh, I think about six further weeks down the line, so about 10 weeks after development started, they got the first... Uh, real life uh, patients onto the system and uh, everything went quite uh, swimmingly after that. And you've got
0: that double benefit then, haven't you? Because you are not admitting people to hospital who don't need to be admitted, which obviously helps with capacity issues, but then also you're making sure the people who do need to, to be admitted, that's flagged and they're brought in. So, I mean, this might be outside the scope of the podcast, but is there scope for this being rolled out more widely or is this where you bump up against like medical regulation and Everything has to be very specific to particular countries and jurisdictions.
1: No, it's a really good question. I mean, it's of course, because one of the things that, that I think the patch in particular, certainly the first bunch of actual patients that went on to use the app were all people who, they were in hospital when they first got the patch. It was like, we are pretty sure we can discharge you, but if you have a 50% chance of deteriorating in the, in the next week, we can't discharge you unless we have this patch. So, you know, it, it's very much people who were there. Suffering from it, my understanding is because we we actually did talk about this you know the potential of rolling it out a bit further at the time. And I think a lot of it is so dependent on the culture at the hospital, because you have to interface with everything they're already doing, not just the willingness of the doctors, but all of their existing tech, all of their existing organization. One of the main benefits that the Curo was able to offer the hospitals is not just the patch, not just the software, whatever. It's actually, they have a team looking at the graphs, kind of 24-7. That team is Curo employees. They have enough medical training to know what they're looking at, but they're not doctors. They're basically not taking doctors away from the hospital to sit there staring at graphs all day. So that was quite an important part of the curio product, I suppose. And I I don't know how you would roll out the software without the human aspect as well. What I'm saying is the service is more than just the, the app that we built.
0: Right. And in fact, it's a very complex environment. You know yes, the,
1: enormously yeah
0: and it's it's very easy to kind of sit in the uk and say how hard can it be <laughs> to do test and trace right but actually it's not just a technical solution it is always about people and how people are using it and how it fits within those very complex processes that are already going on and running you know saving lives already in our hospitals for example super interesting so would we do it again <laughs>
1: I feel we haven't overstated enough how many evenings went into it early on, because <laughs> although so, so, some of the work was done on company time, it was an official project. You yeah, know, it was an official project, but it was. It was uh, being done nine till five. But the early build stage was weekends and evenings. It was there were a lot of we had a good night shift vibe. We'd uh, sit down on Discord and <laughs> write some YAML. It was great.
0: It was great, not it was draining and we wish we... we...
1: It was, but I think it was, well, as Kat said, this was right at the start of lockdown. This was, you know, the first couple of weeks after we were all at home, it became clear that it was not going to end proverbially by Christmas. You know, it wasn't going to be a short thing. It was lockdown was here to stay. And I think it was quite a, an existential project. It was like, this is what I, I'm raging against what's happening to all of us. And this is my way of doing something about it even though it's not something that will necessarily affect me that in itself made it worth it and and that was what the vibe was i think that's what everybody on the team was thinking
2: i think uh, it it felt very much like hackathons and uh and that sort of thing with like people coming together and trying their, their best to, to 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 bash something out and very much also like having fun in the process like despite the the ultimate grimness of the whole backdrop and the whole reason why why this was necessary i think uh, I think the process of, uh, of developing it was really very, very enjoyable.
0: Oh, that's incredible. It sounds like it's been a really great experience for, for Software and for everyone who was on the team and part of the team and able to contribute in this way. And we're excited to see the app in use going forwards. So thank you so much to Sarah and Catherine for coming on to talk about the project and to everyone at Software who worked on it.